Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. A letter reveals the Biden administration helped the FBI access documents that were already taken from Mar-a-Lago months before the August raid. It also tells us what was previously moved from Trump's home. NTD's Iris Tao brings us more. Over 700 pages of classified materials, including some at the highest levels of classification, were moved from Mar-a-Lago to the National Archives back in January. That's according to a letter sent by the Archives, or NARA, to Trump's attorneys in May, which the agency made public on Tuesday. The letter also reveals that a Biden administration held the FBI access those documents. The archivist wrote that in April, quote, the White House Counsel's Office formally transmitted a request that NARA provide the FBI access to the 15 boxes for its review. And the news comes as Trump has filed an official lawsuit seeking to block the Justice Department from reviewing documents seized at Mar-a-Lago. Instead, Trump wants a special master appointed to review them and determine if any are covered by attorney-client privilege. Trump, meanwhile, reacted to the letter on Tuesday, saying, quote, the White House stated strongly that they were not involved, but documents reveal they knew everything. Yet others, including a University of Texas law professor, say the letter instead incriminates Trump. He notes that the letter does not bring up a claim by Trump's representatives that Trump had declassified any of the classified materials. Meanwhile, a Thursday deadline is approaching for the Justice Department to propose redactions to the Mar-a-Lago search affidavit. While it's expected to be heavily redacted, a federal judge has said the document should at least partially come to light due to heavy public interest. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. Here to assess the ongoing investigation of former President Trump, our next guest is a former Supreme Court justice in the state of Arizona, Andrew Gould. Andrew Gould, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Lynn. Good to be with you this morning. Judge, uh, there are a lot of moving parts to this raid of former President Trump's home. Uh, the latest, Trump is calling for a special master uh, to review the documents taken during the raid. If you could tell us, what exactly is the role of a special master and what type of things do you think they would be looking for? When I was, a, especially as a trial judge, I appointed a number of special masters. The rule in the federal courts is Rule 53. And basically, a special master is used in two cases. One, where there's a large volume of documents, and two, where there's sensitive information in those documents. So a judge will appoint a special master to call through a, a large volume of documents, but also a judge wants to insulate himself or herself from attorney-client information, other confidential information in those documents, because the judge that's sitting on the case doesn't want to be looking at, at those documents if they're going to be actually ruling on issues in the case. So they'll give it to a special master to review. So I think in this instance, it's a combination of both. It's a large volume of documents that have been seized, and there are very sensitive documents that have been seized. Now, there are reports that the uh, White House has knowledge and was even possibly proactive uh, in pushing this investigation along. Uh, if true, how serious of an issue is this from the standpoint of uh, separation of powers? Well, look, we've never had uh, a former president's home 
searched. It, it's never happened before in the history of this country. Uh, that being said, we don't know what's in the affidavit. And I don't know why the White House uh, would push this, but um, that's very troubling, obviously. Um, so I, I think a couple things need to be kept in mind here. Uh, first, it's unlikely that we're really going to know everything behind this investigation until we at least see the affidavit. They're not going to release that full affidavit. Uh, whatever they release, there's going to be portions redacted. Um, and frankly, that's very common with search warrants. Anytime you have a search warrant, you're dealing with an ongoing investigation. And so uh, there's confidential informants, there's witnesses, sensitive information. That applies to any case. And so it's unlikely they're going to release that entire affidavit. So we won't know everything they're going after. So, Judge, when it comes to deciding on the scope of uh, redactions, uh, how important is it in, in terms of the affidavit uh, to understand and look at the judge's uh, political bias? Well, I think you always have to recognize that judges are people. Um, and so that that can uh, be a factor. Look, um, when you have a special master appointed, uh, typically the process under Rule 53 is the parties all suggest names and they can object to some of the names proposed by the other party and it's up to the judge presiding over the case to consider those objections. And usually what a judge will do is uh, uh, not appoint somebody that the other party objects to. That being said, you know, I was a judge for over 20 years. I did it at every level of the courts, from the trial courts to the state Supreme Court. And um, I trust that judges will follow their oath of office and they will fairly uh, administer the law. So uh, I, I can't speak to every single judge in the entire federal system, but uh, I, I think sometimes, I think what happens sometimes, frankly, is, um, People look at how political the U.S. Supreme Court can be, and they take that and they apply that to every other judge in the country, and that's not fair. The Supreme Court is extremely political. That's just a reality. But not every other judge is that way. Um, but I think it's incumbent on the parties that if they, if they think there's a bias by a judge to do their research and ask that judge to disqualify himself or herself, and there is a process for doing that. Former Justice on the Arizona Supreme Court, Andrew Gould, thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome back to NTD's Capital Report. I'm Steve Lance. Parents and kids are happy schools are reopening across the country, but local governments are grappling with teacher shortages made worse by the pandemic. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona says the competitive teacher pay is a key component. Let's use the American Rescue Plan dollars to bring back retired teachers, to work with universities to make sure that our student teachers are starting a little bit earlier um, into their profession, um, using the dollars that were put forward by the federal government. Uh, we think it's important that our students get more this year, not less. Some governors have similar plans. Just meeting with a group of retired teachers who in fact want to come back and teach now and are having trouble getting getting their license renewed and also some challenges with the retirement systems treatment of that. And so we've got a SWAT team working on it right now and so I'm really hopeful that we can see immediate outcomes. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin says he's fast-tracking a plan to fill thousands of vacancies in Virginia. Teachers also got a pay increase.
What are the reasons behind the nationwide teacher shortage? Julie Pickren is running for Texas Education Board, and she joins us now to discuss. Julie Pickren, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Lance. Nice to be with you today. Julie, we're seeing a, a teacher shortage all across the country right now. Uh, what What's to make of this? Oh, Lance, I tell you, I have had the great honor of talking with thousands of teachers across the great state of Texas. And even in my own family, my mother-in-law is a retired teacher of uh, kindergarten and first grade of 28 years. My best friend's a school, a public school teacher. Um, my nieces are public school teachers. So to say that I hear from teachers a lot, <laughs> that that is very accurate. So you know, I think the the teacher shortage right now has a lot to do with um, a couple. Areas number one is is uh, you know politics in the classroom. Unfortunately, with this radical left agenda that is coming into public education, at least in my great state and I think around the country, uh, we're seeing teachers they don't want to be on the political front lines in their classrooms, and they don't want their children to be on the political front lines in their classrooms. And so, unfortunately, like I said, with this radical left agenda, we're seeing teachers and children being put on the front lines. You know, teachers, they don't want to teach um, critical race theory. They don't want to, you know, walk into their second grade classrooms with those sweet little seven-year-old minds and start dividing their children up, telling one set of precious little children that they are oppressors while telling another set of precious little children that they are victims. So unfortunately, that that's the, the radical left's agenda right now for our classrooms. And teachers, they just want to they want to go to work. They want to be with our children. They want to teach our children how to how to read, how to write, you know, proper grammar, proper mathematics skill, proper math, uh, mathematical skills. They just this is not this is not what teachers signed up for. It's been long known that uh, teaching is a labor of love, as they say, and that teachers do not get rich. Uh, we're hearing that low wages is the single biggest reason for teacher shortage, but it sounds like what you're saying is it's more of a uh, morale issue. Uh, is it a combination of both, or, or what's your take? Yes, it very well could be a combination of both. You know, um, I served as a school board trustee for a lot of years in the great state of Texas, and under my leadership, I was honored to to pay uh, my teachers, about 3,000 teachers, one of the highest wages in the great state of Texas. So to all my fellow school board members out there, find room in your budgets to pay your teachers. They're earning it. They're not doing this to get wealthy. But please, please readjust your, your budgets to make classrooms and to make teachers your priority. So I think that part of it is is a wage. You know, in the state of Texas right now, um, we have a huge we have a, a huge gap in teacher wages. It kind of goes from maybe about forty thousand to some areas up to maybe sixty five thousand in my area. So we are seeing a pretty big gap just within our own state. So yes, we have to make sure that we are paying our teachers well. The other the other area, of course, is uh, this political front lines and school safety. You know, we have to make sure our teachers are safe. We need to make sure that there is a armed police officer or an armed person on every campus in our schools. Our teachers must feel safe while they're at school. Our children must be safe while they're at school. But yes, that, that we're kind of seeing that in teacher pay and with uh, with school safety. But again, to go back to just this radical left agenda in our classrooms, teachers do not want to be on the front line of politics, nor should a teacher ever be on the front lines of political issues. 
We often hear people say that our children are our future. Uh, what do you think the long-term impacts of this teacher shortage will have, uh, not only on the children, but on the country? Oh, the, uh, the long-term impact of the teacher shortage is gonna be vast. Uh, you know, we get one chance to educate a child. You don't get a redo. We don't have time for huge performance gaps because we don't have degreed teachers in our classrooms. And I'll give you an example. There's a junior high, um, probably about an hour from where I'm at in Texas, where over 60% of the teachers in the junior high do not have a degree or they're not degreed professionals. So you have junior high students who can go all day long, can go from school from eight o'clock in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon and never encounter a degreed teacher. So the impacts of that on, on, uh, on our special education students, on our students who are falling behind, on our students in performance gaps, the, the implications of that will be detrimental to education. We need to get this right and we need to get this right right now. We need to make sure that our teachers feel safe, that our teachers are not on the political front lines of what's happening in culture and society, and we need to make sure that our teachers are very well paid. Our budgets need to be in the classroom. Julie Pickering, thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you, Lance. God bless America and God bless Texas. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.